This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're going to dive deep into how the New York Jets can be a playoff team in 2019. We're going to run a few of these on, a, on Tuesdays leading up to the regular season where we focus on a single topic, uh, myself individually, talk about it for about a half hour or so and use it as a launching off point for hopefully a bigger discussion uh, across our site and on social media. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with our normal episode uh, where we're going to interview Elliot Christ about the state of the AFC and where the Jets fit in overall. And we'll continue to have our normal Thursday episodes with interviews and occasional mailbags on Saturdays. Just going to mix in a few of these episodes on Tuesdays going forward. As a reminder, before we dive into it, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. We're about 15 or so away from 500, so help get us up over that threshold. Uh, Also publish on Spotify, Google Play, TurnOnTheJets.com. Appreciate all the engagement and interaction around the show. It's been really nice to see the spike up we've gotten since we joined the Overtime Network uh, and with all the action that's been going on this offseason. So uh, the support is greatly appreciated of uh, this podcast and the Play Like a Jet podcast uh, which we're pushing out with daily new shows, whereas this will stay about twice a week, I would say, going forward into the uh, regular season. So today's topic, how can the New York Jets become a playoff team in 2019? As it stands right now, the Jets have an eight-year playoff drought that is tied for the eighth longest of any professional American sports team in the big four sports, football, baseball, basketball, hockey. It's the third longest drought in the NFL behind the Cleveland Browns and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cleveland Browns are widely expected to break that streak this year, although who knows if that's actually going to happen or not, of course. Uh, Bucks in a tough division. I'm not necessarily sure anybody expects them to really break that streak this year, but we'll see how it plays out. Jets, last time they made the playoffs, 2010, uh, when they lost in the AFC Championship game to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they followed up that year with an 8-8 eight and eight season in 2011, a 6-10 season in 2012, uh, followed by them firing GM Mike Tannenbaum, 2013, 8-8, 2014-4-12, followed by them firing both Rex Ryan and GM John Idzik. Uh, we were then rolled into the Todd Bowles, Mike McCagnan era, starting with a 10-6 and six season where they were knocked out of the playoffs with a Week 17 loss. That's been their only winning season since 2010. And then this past three-year stretch where, candidly, the Jets have been the worst team in the NFL over the past three years. They're the only team who has not won six or more games in a single year. They have the 30th best overall record. uh, And they, of course, have not made the playoffs with back-to-back 5-11 seasons uh, in 2016 and 2017, followed by a 4-12 season last year, which led to Todd Bowles being fired. Jets decided to keep their GM, Mike McCagnan, uh, hire Adam Gase as their new head coach, also brought on Greg Williams as their new defensive coordinator, Dowell Loggins as their new offensive coordinator, 
kept special teams coordinator Brant Boyer, and have obviously had an active offseason to support second-year quarterback Sam Darnold with the acquisition of Le'Veon Bell, Kalecce Assembly, and Jamison Crowder on offense. Uh, defensively, their first two picks were on that side of the football where they added Quentin Williams and Ja'Kai Polite. They also signed C.J. Mosley to the biggest contract in NFL history for an inside linebacker. Um, while also bringing back defensive lineman Henry Anderson, who paced the team in sacks last year with seven. State of the roster overall and Vegas expectations basically has the Jets at about a seven-win team right now. You've, we've seen the over-under sort of fluctuate. I've seen it anywhere from six, six and a half games to seven and a half games, depending on where you look at it. Uh, I think if you ask most people to give their prediction on what they expect the Jets record to be away from the fan base. I think most people would probably say seven or eight wins. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Now, if you look at uh, recent Jets history with a first-year head coach, it would point to a better season than that. Uh, and that's sort of been an interesting anomaly for this franchise over the past you know, 20, 25 years or so. Todd Bowles' first year, he goes 10-6. and six. Uh, narrowly misses the playoffs. Rex Ryan's first year, he goes nine and seven and makes the playoffs. Eric Mangini's first year goes ten and six and makes the playoffs. Herm Edwards' first year also ten and six and made the playoffs. Al Groh's first year nine and seven narrowly missed the playoffs. Bill Parcells' first year nine and seven narrowly misses the playoffs. Uh, so basically, you're getting a winning record. Uh, in your first year of being a Jets head coach, or at least that's been the precedent. Now, Adam Gase is a unique situation in that he is coming directly coming off another head coaching job, whereas Todd Bowles was a first-time head coach, Rex Ryan was a first-time head coach. Um, same thing for Herman Edwards, Al Groh, Eric Mangini. Parcells obviously was a different situation. All these guys were first-time head coaches. Adam Gase is doing the rare transition of a guy who was a head coach last year, was fired by another team in the division, the Miami Dolphins, uh, where he's coming off back-to-back losing seasons, although he did make the playoffs in 2006. Gase has a 23-25 and record, has been averaging you know, roughly about a little over seven wins a year. Um, Other times this has happened where a coach has been fired and immediately gotten another job actually involves some previous Jets head coaches. Rex Ryan's the most recent example, went from the Jets to the Bills, lasted two years there, never got over going 8-8. Eric Mangini did two years with the Cleveland Browns directly after being fired by the Jets. Uh, It was well under 500 both years there. Um, So there's a little cross push either way on what is a fair expectation just based on a first year head coach uh, taking over this franchise. I think when you make the decision to hire an experienced head coach rather than going with a first time head coach, you're saying that you expect a little bit less or much less of a learning curve. There's not that ramp up period where he's figuring out what this job is. Uh, He has a veteran staff around him with Greg Williams, who's coming off being an interim head coach. I think you're expecting Gase to know what the job is right out of the gate, and you're hoping that he has learned from his experience in Miami, which obviously did not turn out to be a net positive overall. And basically what the Jets are doing is they're betting that Mike McCagnin is a good GM who's been saddled by a bad head coach and a bad coaching staff. That's why he's 24 and 40 over four years. They're betting that Adam Gase, despite being 23 and 25, is a good head coach 
who was saddled by a bad organization and poor personnel decisions. Now, he was involved in some of those personnel decisions. He had a lot of power in Miami. But uh, they're going to say their former GM, Tannenbaum, wasn't a help. Uh, the ownership situation wasn't great. And that these two guys are going to push to get the best out of each other. And that's why I think some of these reports about friction may not necessarily be a bad thing. I think it depends how deep that friction is and how deep those disagreements are. And we'll see if this team hits a little trouble, if that those issues spike back up. But in a vacuum, having disagreement and debate is a good thing. The Jets want someone to push Mike McCagnan on some of the decisions he was potentially making from a personnel standpoint because it hasn't worked out all that well. That's why we're you know, into the fifth year of this regime and it's now just starting to be reasonable theoretically to expect this team to be competitive. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Now, I think when you take a step back, what's really interesting when you compare Gase uh, to the most recent Jets head coach in the first year is how comparable the situations are. So Todd Bowles inherited a 4-12 and team who spent big in free agency, has Mike McCagnan as the GM. Uh, all those things are exactly the same for Adam Gase. He's inheriting a 4-12 and team with Mike McCagnan as the GM who spent big in free agency. Big difference is that Gase has Sam Donald at quarterback while Bowles had Ryan Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith. Jets had a notably easy schedule, I would say, in 2015. As it stands right now, and of course this could change with injuries, the Jets are tied for the second easiest schedule in the NFL. Part of that is playing a last-place schedule like they did after 2014. You look at the rosters, there is obviously give and take in some area. The Jets are much better at running back and tight end this year with Le'Veon Bell and Chris Herndon. They also have bigger names in the middle of their defense with Jamal Adams and C.J. Mosley. And I would say their first two picks are expected to have more results with Quentin Williams and Ja'Kai Polite over Leonard Williams and Lorenzo Maldon. Ironically, they also drafted the same positions with their first two picks back in 2015. That team was better at receiver, I would say, with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. But Todd Bowles managed to win 10 games despite being a below-average head coach. I think we all could agree in that situation. So it's going to be interesting to see if Gase could meet that threshold. And I think that is the threshold for them being a playoff team. I think you need to expect to get to 10 and have 10 be that number. And I think until we see it proven otherwise, when you're in the AFC East and you're not New England, it's fair to say that your route to the playoffs is going to be a wild card. We saw Miami and Adam Gase take that route in 2016. Uh, We saw the Buffalo Bills uh, and Sean McDermott take that route uh, in 2017. Um, When the Jets made the playoffs back in 2009 and 2010, uh, those were wild card appearances. And this has been New England's division for two decades plus. And until someone knocks them off, it's fair to assume that they're going to win the AFC East, which means for the Jets, that puts you competing for one of two wild card spots in a pretty talented and deep conference pending everything holds on what the expectations are. So expecting that 10 wins is going to be that threshold, I think is reasonable. Of course, there may be a situation where you get lucky with some tiebreakers and get in at nine. uh, But I would say it's more likely looking at the conference that nine is going to probably leave you on the outside looking in and eight is definitely going to leave you on the outside looking in. And I think you say that because You look at the West, you look at the rosters, despite some of the hits they took of the Chiefs and then of the Chargers, 
Both of those teams look like teams who are going to push for 10-plus wins, and it's hard to see a situation where they're not very much in the mix for a playoff spot. You look over to the North, last year, Ravens win the North. We know the Steelers have had some coming and goings recently, but with the infrastructure there, they're always at or slightly above 500. They were last year, just narrowly missed the playoffs. The Browns are coming off their best season in a long time. Not not overly impressive that that's 7-8-1, but... They added Odell Beckham. Baker Mayfield's in year two. They made an encouraging offensive coordinator hire in Todd Munkin. Uh, They added Olivier Vernon. On paper, it's arguably the best roster in the AFC. So those three teams are going to be very competitive at the top of the North. And I think you look at the South, the Texans won 11 games last year, although they got wiped in the first round by the Colts. You know, the Texans, I think, are a fairly poorly run organization, but... Their top-tier talent is so special, they can generally overcome it. And that's DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, Davion Clowney. That allows them to overcome some of the other problems throughout that organization. I think everybody expects the Colts to continue to be an ascending team coming off a wild-card appearance where they won a playoff game. There's no reason to think that they won't get better uh, with another year of Ballard, Frank Wright, and Andrew Luck if he stays healthy. And you look at the Titans, you know, a team who was playing for a playoff spot in Week 17 last year and quietly had a pretty good offseason. They added Roger Saffold to improve that offensive line, added Adam Humphreys to make life easier on Marcus Mariota. They added Ryan Tannehill as a backup. Now Ryan Tannehill kind of stinks, uh, but he's better than Blaine Gabbert, who they had backing up Mariota last year. And Mariota is generally good to miss four to five games a year. So uh, are they going to be around 500? They have been the past few years. Probably not crazy to expect that again. And you look at the Jaguars, a team who was in the AFC Championship game two years ago. Fell apart last year, predominantly due to Blake Bortles' struggles at quarterback. They go get Nick Foles. Now, big question if Foles can thrive away from Doug Peterson uh, and in a different system and a different style of play. But it's fair to expect the Jaguars to be more competitive uh, with Foles at quarterback rather than Blake Bortles, who they had under center last year. So a little hard to read that division outside of the Colts probably being most people's favorite, which makes sense after watching what the Colts did to the Texans last year. Uh, But it should be a competitive one top to bottom. I don't think there's any obvious basement dwellers there. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Look at the AFC East away from New England, who's going to be the expected favorite. You have the Dolphins, who by all indications, are taking the 2017 Jets route in that they are fairly obviously looking to tank. And as we saw with the Jets in 2017, just because you're doing that doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to win four or five games. That Jet team won five games, and they beat Miami. So assuming those are just going to be walkover games, Jets are going to be favorites, and they should be. Division games are always tough. Uh, And then you look at Buffalo, a team that... Depending on who you ask, I think most people will have the Jets and Bills interchangeable as second or third in the division. I think the Jets have a leg up because Sam Darnold's better than Josh Allen. Uh, I think Buffalo had an interesting offseason. They added a lot of new bodies. How many of those bodies are actually going to be impact players remains to be seen. Uh, I would say they have a more proven defense right now, but I think the Jets have the best offensive player of the two teams in Le'Veon Bell, and I think they have an advantage at quarterback. So, you know, we'll find out right away in week one. Uh, but I think it's fair to expect the Jets to be second place in the AFC. It's just can they get up over 500 far enough uh, to actually put themselves in the wild card mix? And before we, you know, sort of dive in what needs to happen with their roster and from a performance standpoint, 
Let's look at that schedule because it's a very interesting schedule with how it's divided up, kind of into what I see as three blocks. The Jets, any way you slice it, and you're lying if you're saying otherwise, have a brutal first six games to start the season. Now, they're benefited by having a bye in week four, but you come out of the gate home against Buffalo, home against Cleveland, at New England, bye week, at Philadelphia, home against Dallas, home against New England. Now, the benefit there, limited travel, right? They have four home games, two away games. Two away games are literally the two closest possible away games they could be uh, in New England and Philadelphia. However, you look at those six opponents, four of them are against teams who didn't just make the playoffs last year, but teams who won games in the playoffs last year. You're getting New England early in the season, which is generally a positive from what we've seen in recent years, although the Jets have lost six straight to them. You're also getting a Cleveland team who's going to be picked to win 9, 10, 11 games this year, but you do get them at home. And you're getting a Philly team who's two years removed from the Super Bowl, who won a playoff game last year, difficult place to play there. Uh, and then Dallas, another team, won a playoff game last year. Uh, way they're built up front, always are going to make them a challenge. And I think we've said this before, these first six games are going to be a great test for the Jets' offensive line to see how big of a problem area is it. Because Buffalo was number two in defensive DVOA last year. They added Ed Oliver. They're going to be able to get after the quarterback. Cleveland has Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett Olivia Vernon, plenty of other talent up front. We know they're going to be able to get after the quarterback. New England, they're coached by Belichick. They find a way. They're not going to have names that are necessarily going to jump off the paper, but uh, we know they'll get creative with how they attack defensively. And then the Eagles and Cowboys have, you know, arguably two of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. Uh, a challenging test for the Jets' offensive line, but I think if you look at it on the flip end, defensively, the Jets are probably going to feel pretty good about how they match up with Buffalo's offense, and they should. I think Dallas's offense, with how they play, I think is a favorable matchup for the Jets. In my mind, the best way to attack the Jets' defense this year is going to be spreading them out and flooding the field with receivers and running backs and trying to take advantage of a potential lack of speed in their front seven. How do you get Avery Williamson out in space? How do you push them to getting their fourth and fifth corner on the field? How do you get C.J. Mosley out in space? How do you make it difficult for them to have Henry Anderson, Leonard Williams, Quentin Williams, and Steve McClendon all on the field at the same time because you're coming out in four and four and five wide and spreading them out? So for a team like New, uh, Dallas, who might be a little more straightforward and trying to run the ball down their throat, I could see that being a more beneficial matchup for them. I think New England and, to an extent, Philadelphia, they may try to spread them out, and those could be tougher matchups. Cleveland's going to be interesting to see how that offense you know, rolls out now with Baker and Odell, uh, and if they do try to attack the Jets in that way. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think when you look at that first six games, the Jets' goal, in my mind, is to tread water. If you could get out of those first six at 3-3, three and three, I think that's – a big win. I think the key thing is you don't want to put yourself in that 2014, you know, one and five hole. You can you have to handle business early in the year, home against Buffalo, and you want to tread water. I think even two and four may not be disastrous for them when you look at their next seven, but three and three would be a huge win. When you look at their next seven on paper, and again on paper, because this of course could change. This is the quote-unquote easy stretch on paper. You go at Jacksonville, at Miami, home for the Giants, at Washington, home for Oakland, at Cincinnati, home for Miami. And in that seven-game stretch, 
You have two against Miami and one against Cincinnati. Most people's 15th and 16th best team in the AFC heading into this year, at least from an expectation standpoint. You have zero games against teams who made the playoffs last year. You're likely facing two rookie quarterbacks in Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones if the Giants finally give up on Eli by that point. Uh, Oakland will be improved, but they still have a while to go to show that they've actually made strides under Gruden. And we talked about Jacksonville already, uh, whether they're going to turn a corner or not with Foles. But again, seven straight games against teams who did not make the playoffs last year. The Jets got to be looking at that stretch and saying, can we go four and three? Can we go five or five and two? Can we get ourselves in a position where we're seven and six or potentially even eight and five going into our final three games? Because if you get to that final three, it's six and seven. Uh, you're putting a ton of pressure on yourself uh, to close the season strong at you know the hardest time of the year. And I think we saw Gase's Dolphins last year. They were seven and six heading into their final three, theoretically still in the playoff race, and they got wiped the final three weeks of the year. Actually, the three teams who didn't make, end up making the playoffs: Jacksonville, Minnesota, and Buffalo. So, what can Gase learn from that if he has the Jets in a similar spot this year? Which I think is. Probably likely that this team will be right on that six and seven, seven and six, you know, borderline heading into their final three. And when you look at their final three, you go at Baltimore on prime time on Thursday night, home for Pittsburgh, the Le'Veon Bell reunion game, and then at Buffalo. A challenging stretch any way you slice it. Baltimore coming off a playoff appearance, always very difficult to play there against that defense. Uh, Lamar Jackson's obviously a unique person to try to scheme against, although, again, I think the way they play offense may be beneficial uh, for how the Jets try to defend them. Pittsburgh, despite the talent that they lost, always going to be a difficult team. You have to assume they're going to be hovering around 500 from everything we've seen over these past few years. And then Buffalo, whether Buffalo is a 6-10 and 10 or 7-9 and nine team this year, we know how hard it is to play in Buffalo, especially in December, whether they have nothing to play for or not. We've seen that. Uh, and the Jets, you know, they did squeak one out last year in the final play of the game, but this is not going to be, you know, some some give me. So to expect that you're just going to be able to rip through these final three, unlikely. I think, you know, shooting to get two of these final three is probably realistic, which means you really got to have seven or eight going into that final three. So I think for the Jets, it's, Tread water your first six games, and then you have to be over 500 in that seven-game stretch and really probably try to push uh, to five and two if you're going to give yourself a chance in those last three weeks to actually be a playoff team. And I think, you know, we can talk about this in a separate you know episode, that's a reasonable goal or expectation for fans at this point when you're in year five with a general manager and when you spend as much as the team just spent. So when you look at how... What is going to be needed to be a playoff team? If you look at who made the playoffs last year and you look at the top 10 offenses in DVOA, eight of the top 10 teams in offensive DVOA made the playoffs last year. The top five all made the playoffs, all won playoff games last year. Um, That's the Chiefs, that's the Rams, that's the Chargers, that's the Saints, that's the Pats. Only the Steelers and the Packers... uh, at six and seven, did not make the playoffs. Uh, after that, Seattle in the playoffs, Colts in the playoffs. Actually, it was seven of ten, I'm sorry, as the Falcons were also, also in the top ten. When you go over to look at the defense, uh, it's a fairly comparable amount. You have six of the top ten teams in defensive DVOA made the playoffs. But when you look at that top five, uh, actually three 
of the top five teams in defensive DVOA did not make the playoffs last year. And neither of them, the two who didn't make it, won a playoff game. So the Bears were first, knocked out in the first round. Bills were second, were not close to making the playoffs. Ravens were third, knocked out in the first round. Vikings did not make the playoffs. Broncos did not make the playoffs. Then sixth in DVOA, the Jaguars did not make the playoffs. Even seven is Houston, who did make the playoffs, but as we said, losing the first round. Basically, as we've seen skewing in the league recently, offense netted out to being more important. And you saw that by who advanced to the Super Bowl when you look at where New England, where the Rams ranked in offense, and where they ranked in defense. The Rams were second in DVOA last year, made it to the Super Bowl. Pats were fifth in DVOA, uh, made it to the Super Bowl. When you flip it over and look at defense, New England was only 16th last year, and the Rams were only 18th. Uh, so you've got to have an offense in this league, and you've got to be able to score points uh, week to week. And everything, I think, is always going to consistently come back to this. This is a Jets roster with some warts that are, are going to be solved. Their offensive line, what they have now, is going to be their offensive line. Their cornerback group, very likely going to be their cornerback group. Leaves very little margin for error in terms of injuries. But if the Jets get the leap from Sam Darnold that they're confident they could get internally, that's going to mask a lot of their problems and also allow them to make the necessary offensive jump to potentially compete for a playoff spot. He is the key. He is the pivotal player for that to happen. And that is, we're talking about a Carson Wentz-like year two jump, a Jared Goff with Sean McVay-like jump. he needs to not just get incrementally better, which I think is the baseline expectation for him, more touchdowns, less interceptions, play all 16 games, improve your completion percentage, improve your yards per attempt. I think those are all fair ass that we all expect, but it's how big of a spike is it going to be? Can he keep the turnovers down? Can he throw less interceptions despite playing three more games next year? Can he get up over 30 touchdowns? Can he regularly exceed 300 passing yards? And when the Jets are going head-to-head with the bigger offenses on their schedule, that I think candidly will be able to take advantage of the Jets' defense because of how they built themselves to be bigger up the middle, but not necessarily faster on the edges. And if teams want to attack them horizontally, can Darnold rise to the occasion of getting them to 30 points? Because if you want to beat New England, the key to beating New England is not hitting Tom Brady up the middle. It's finding a way to outscore them. Go look at the handful of games New England's lost the past three years. It's generally when they get outscored. When someone goes out and puts up something in the high 20s or low 30s, you have to be able to put points on the board if you're going to beat them. You're not going to go beat them 6-3. to three. So when they're playing New England twice early in the year, when they're playing the Browns, uh, later in the year when they're playing Pittsburgh, and even Oakland now with Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams and some of the weapons that they added, are the Jets going to be able, on the back of Darnold, to run up enough points? And they're going to need him to take that expected jump and be as productive as a guy like Baker Mayfield was last year now that he has an improved situation around him with Le'Veon Bell, who they're, of course, going to need 16 games from or near 16 games from, and there's every reason to expect Adam Gase is going to make him his workhorse. And if you look at how he used a guy like Jay Ajay down the stretch last year, Bell could be the kind of guy who the Jets are paying him to be 25 touches per game. 
get well over 1,000. They need him to be an 1,100, 1,200-yard back. They need him to potentially lead this team in receptions. He's going to be the focal point of the offense when you start distributing the football around. And is he going to replicate his two career years in Pittsburgh? He doesn't necessarily need to get to that threshold for the Jets to be a playoff team, but he's got to be an 1,000-yard back uh, and not squeaking over but well over that. And he's got to be 70, 75 catches uh, and right around 10 total touchdowns because the Jets need that type of output both in their running game and their passing game. And I think if he could do that in their passing game, it lightens some of the concerns that you might have for them at receiver. And I think Robbie Anderson, as a lead receiver, should fit well here. Uh, maybe have less total receptions than we've seen, but get more big plays down the field, even if he has less re- receptions than a guy like Bell, or maybe even than a guy like Jamison Crowder, because we know how Gates loves to use that slot receiver. Uh, but if Anderson could go be a 950, a little over a 1,000-yard type guy, and Bell produces the way we discussed, that's going to be close to enough juice on offense from what the Jets need. If they could get Crowder uh, involved the way that Gase has used slot receivers in the past, that will give the Jets enough of a diverse range of options on offense. Quincy Inouye, to expect 16 games out of him probably isn't fair at this point, but can he give you 12 or 13 games? And could a few of the games when Robbie Anderson is struggling or teams are doing a great job taking away Le'Veon Bell, can he rise up as a complimentary piece and give you two to three games where he breaks out, gets up around or over 100 yards, and helps you tread water if teams are doing a good job taking away your top options, which I think are going to be really, I think, in terms of volume of opportunities, I think the Jets' top three options are going to be Bell, Anderson, and Crowder. So the weeks that those guys are struggling or if one of them's banged up, that's when I think you can in a new walk, can a Herndon, uh, after he comes back from a likely early season suspension, put together a few big games here or there where the Jets are that difficult to defend where you have those five main options, never mind if you get something from a guy like Ty Montgomery, to diversify where Darnold to go with the football. And you hope that Gase is going to do things that get him on the move and get quick releases because this offense taking a leap is more important than the defense taking a leap if the Jets are going to be a playoff team next year. Of course the Jets need to be better on defense. And of course they have to be smart and not stubborn when they're being attacked by different different offenses. I think if you look at it on paper, they're going to match up really well with offenses like Buffalo. Even offenses like Dallas, Jacksonville, probably what Miami is going to try to do is going to be a good matchup for them, uh, and Baltimore as well. What the question is going to be is, When teams come out and try to beat them with speed and spread them out and play up-tempo, New England, Cleveland, Philadelphia, um, Pittsburgh late in the year, are they going to be able to have an answer for that and be able to get creative despite what I would say is really a lack of secondary depth right now? Uh, They have a weak top three corners. They don't really have any depth behind those three guys. At safety, we need to see a 16-game season for Marcus Mayne. If he misses any time, the Jets are very thin at safety with Jamal Adams. So that defense, I think they're going to have a couple games this year where they really smother certain types of offenses, and that will allow for you know Darnold to have a couple tough outings because he will. It's not going to be all smooth sailing for him in year two. There's going to be some road bumps that's going to happen with young quarterbacks. But, you know, if they're playing a Baltimore, they're playing a Buffalo, a team or a Jacksonville, a team was likely to have a very good defense, and the offense is struggling because Darnold's having a, the type of game that young quarterbacks normally do. 
Can that defense be good enough in those spots to allow them to win those games 17-13 or 19-14 if they're struggling to put touchdowns up on the board? And if they could find a way to steal some of those close games where Darnold doesn't have it, that should allow them to be good enough in that middle stretch of games to, again, be set up going into those final three weeks at a 7-6, and six, at an 8-5, and five, where they have a real chance. So, you know, in my mind, it's going to be about – Offense taking the bigger leap, a step forward from the defense, and then particularly taking advantage of the matchups that are going to be more favorable to them, where the Jets are built strong up the middle. They've invested a ton in defensive, interior defensive linemen, inside linebackers, and the safety position. The matchups that allow them to take advantage of that, uh, they have to find a way uh, to smother opponents. Now, look. We could say that the Jets could be a playoff team if they stay healthy. Every team needs to stay healthy. I think the Jets, just as much if not more in particular, there's limited depth on this roster because so much work needed to be done that it's really not a one-off season job. That's how bad they've been in recent years. I don't think they're in a spot where they, they can't weather a three-game absence from Sam Darnold. They had that last year. They were 0-3. They, they can't handle that this year. The drop-off will be too extreme to a guy like Trevor Simeon. Could they handle Le'Veon Bell missing a couple games or needing to ramp up uh, a little bit? Yeah, maybe. If they get a good version of Ty Montgomery and he could kind of hold the fort for a week and Donald's playing really well, you hope not to see it. For what you're paying a guy like C.J. Mosley and for what Jamal Adams is expected to bring to this defense as a guy who people are going to expect to be a first-team All-Pro, yeah, they really can't. They can't have those guys miss any time. Now, I think you got to be realistic when you look at guys like Marcus May and Quincy Inouye and even guys like Brian Winters who weren't banged up last year but have been banged up a lot through their career. Those guys are going to miss some time. You're going to have some injuries, but it's going to come down to who ends up being that third safety and can they do a better job than Doug Middleton did last year? Who ends up being that sixth offensive lineman and could they do a better job than a Brent Quali did last year when he had to play down the stretch? How can the Jets tread water when they do hit some injuries? Uh, That's going to be very interesting to see. And a final point, Adam Gase, you know, there's one thing he's been very good at in the past few years. It's been winning close games. Now, we talked with Travis Wingfield, who's covered him closely in Miami. He thinks a lot of that has really just came down to luck, and a lot of analytics would point towards that. The ball breaks certain ways, people missing kicks, you don't fall on a fumble. If he can find a way to keep that up and win close games – uh, that's going to be a huge thing for a team that's probably going to be right on that razor's edge between seven and nine and nine and seven and maybe ten and six to get over the hump. If he can keep doing that, that's going to be a difference maker for a Jets team who's struggled in close games in recent years and has blown big leads repeatedly. You, you know, you think back to some of the games they lost last year. You know, the two later season ones jumped to mind. You know, with Tennessee, they were up that whole game and they lost late. Uh, Green Bay, they were up big in that game, ended up losing late in overtime. Uh, The Texans game, they played well. They still lost late. Uh, So how can they find a way uh, to win close football games? New England, they've played New England tough the past couple of years, at least in one of their two matchups, but they've never been able to close the door. And, you know, finally, I think something that's been consistent with the Jets not being over 500 or not being a playoff team during this drought is that, they can't get over 500 in the AFC East. The best they've been able to do is 3-3, three and three, but usually they're a 1-5, and 2-4 type team in the AFC East, and you just can't do that in your own division and expect to make the playoffs. So the Jets, if they're going to make the playoffs this year, you got to end that six-game losing streak to New England. No one expects you to sweep New England. Get a split. 
And if the Jets could get a split, avoid stubbing their toe against a Dolphins team who's likely to win four or five games this year, and the Dolphins stubbed their toe against the Jets back in 2017 with McCown uh, in that week three game, I think it was. Uh, and they can get two there and then get a split against Buffalo. I think it's hard to expect to sweep both Buffalo and Miami. Getting to four and two in the division would be a big win for them. Uh, just treading water at three and three uh, is not going to be enough. You know, if you get swept by New England and then you handle the rest against Buffalo or Miami, or you get one from New England but then you choke one away against Miami, I don't think three and three is going to be enough. They got to find a way to get over 500. In the AFC East, if they want a real chance of being a nine and seven or ten and sixteen this year, all right, that was uh, what we got. Here's a thirty-five minute rant slash discussion about how the Jets can be a playoff team in 2019. Thank you everybody for listening. Please hit me with your feedback. We'll be back in a on Thursday with a normal episode with Elliot Chris, and we'll be looking at other Tuesday topics for this. Thank you for listening. <laughs>